morning, Oakwood family. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Oh, good. First service is awake. And hopefully all those online are awake as well. Uh, hey, it is good to uh, be in the house of the Lord together to be able to worship this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that first song this morning. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell Rusty we need to do that again soon, uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, but we do need to work on our countenance, okay, church? I mean, that's that. Praise the Lord. Are you sing about all those lyrics about God saving us and praising the Lord? It's like, okay, we need to kind of have a spirit of praise. Now, I know at 9 a.m., sometimes that's hard, right? I mean, you know, we just, just had our first sip of coffee or whatever. But, hey, it, it, was, it was great. It's good to be part of God's family. We're in a series. This is part three today in the book of Titus. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Now, what's cool about uh, being in the book of Titus for, for uh, several weeks is that your Bible will just naturally open there. You know, so you don't even have to find it anymore if you're using a paper Bible. You can just do that. As always, you are welcome to follow along in the app. You just download the Oakwood app. Um, you just search Oakwood Enid in your app store. And uh, you can download it. It has all the sermon notes and all the scriptures there for you. But the main thing we want you to do today is to engage the word of God, to hear from God this morning, uh, and to be a part of God's work in the world and in your own life as well. Uh, in this series, in week one, we talked about how we are called to stand firm in the truth of God. In a world that says, hey, you know, truth is relative, truth is, you know, it could be this or it could be that. In, in that type of world, it's confusing sometimes. But we as Christians, we don't have to be confused because we know we can stand on the truth of God's word. God's word is enduring truth forever. And it is absolutely the truth. And so if you have a part of your life you have a question about, well, you should turn to the Bible and say, what does God have to say about this? Because we hold God and what he says in his word and that word of truth higher and better and most and highest in our, in our life than anything else. And so the beginning of this letter to this young man in the faith named Titus who has been appointed by the Apostle Paul to go to Crete and to um, appoint church leaders and to set up churches on all these islands. These little young churches were just exploding with growth with young and baby Christians and he's trying to establish what do these churches need to look like to be successful and it starts out with stand firm on the truth. Then the second week we talked about church leadership because the next section uh, there in, in Titus chapter 1 talks about elders. We talked about what is an elder, what is an overseer, that they are the guardians for truth for the church, that they are the overseers of the spiritual life and the doctrinal direction of the church and how important it is that they meet all of these qualifications and characteristics in scripture. We talked about that. And today as we continue uh, to, to be in this series called The Church Defined, today we're going to be talking about guarding against the rebels. Guarding against rebellious people. What does, that, what does that mean exactly? Let's read the text together. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And it says this. For there are many rebellious people. Many. Full of meaningless talk. Meaningless talk. And deception. Especially those of the circumcision group. Which we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll explain what that is. They must be silenced. Because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so they will be, found, so they will be sound in the faith. And will pay no attention to Jewish myths 
or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable and disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. One of the things that we can learn from this text today in regards to God's church is that there will always be those who are working against God and his church. There will always be evil forces. There will always be some people that will be working against God's work and God's church. We see that right there at the very beginning of verse 10. It says, for there are many rebellious people. Full of what? They're full of meaningless talk and what? Deception. They're trying to deceive God's people. And then it goes on and says, especially those of the circumcision group. Now, if you read that, you're kind of like, whoa, because we know what circumcision is. It's like, what is it talking about there? Who is the circumcision group that's trying to deceive everyone? So let's remember where we're at here. We're, we're, we're baby and new Christians in these young churches and what had happened is that some of the Jews that were holding on to the law and holding on to human traditions, they were saying, hey, to, to be a Jew and to be a part of God's chosen people in the Old Testament, you had to be circumcised in the Old Testament. But then this, this fellow named Jesus, the Son of God, came, and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And what they were doing, the circumcision group, they're saying, but first what you need to do is obey the law from the Old Testament, which means you've got to be circumcised first, then you follow Jesus. You see that? And that's why they said that they're deceiving because Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, hey, go and be circumcised. Okay? He, he didn't say that. He, he didn't say that. And so they were trying to put something on people that God didn't intend. You see, there's two groups of people that I think it's talking about in this passage today, in, the, in these verses. The first group is called the people who are legalistic. People who are legalistic. This would define the circumcision group. They were legalistic. They were, they were putting things on people. They were adding to the scripture. They were taking the commands of Christ, the commands of the apostles, and going a step beyond it to put extra things like, hey, to be saved, you must be circumcised. They were doing those kind of things. Now, this wasn't something new just to the Cretans and just in this time period. This wasn't something new. This is something that had been going on for quite some time. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, several of the commands, they had tried to put extra things on those, thing, on, on those commands. They tried to put some extra rules in there. Some man-made humanistic policies, we'll say. So like in the Old Testament when it said, hey, you need to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What they would do is these legalists, a lot of times we would call them the Pharisees or the Sadducees of the Old Testament. They knew the commands. The commands said, hey, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath day. You're supposed to not work. Cease working on the Sabbath day and you're to keep it holy. But the Pharisees went a step further and they thought, what constitutes work? We, as the religious elitists of our time, and as the leaders of the Jewish synagogues at that time, we should make some rules about this. We should define these things. And so they wrote this, this document called the Talmud. 
And the Talmud was a running commentary on the Bible, on the laws in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and what we call the Torah. And they were writing these commentaries on there. And so they defined work not by Scripture, not by what God said, not in the spirit of the text and what it actually says, but they just defined it in their own way. And so they decided that if you walked more than seven-tenths of a mile on the Sabbath day, that you were working and you were now sinning. Now, nowhere in the, in the books of the law, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament, do you find anywhere in there where it says if you walk more than seven-tenths of a mile, that defines work. But, but the legalist said, hey, yeah, that's going to be work. If you rode a donkey that day, and the donkey walked seven, more than seven-tenths of a mile, and you got home, you could not take the saddle off of the donkey because that would warrant work beyond the seven-tenths. They had rules that even said this, if you have a hen and it lays an egg on the Sabbath, you're not to eat that egg because the hen worked on the Sabbath. This isn't a joke, folks. Do you see what this is? Legalism. Taking what the scripture says and going a step further with it. And legalism has this, this way of kind of bending what God said and twisting it to get some kind of human result, to meet some kind of human interpretation, or to have these extra rules. And the Pharisees, they hated Jesus because he didn't adhere to their rules. You know, Jesus did some things on the Sabbath day. Jesus didn't always, didn't always obey all of their extra rules. And so when he was healing or doing the Lord's work as a form of worship on the Sabbath day, when he was eating with sinners, when he was healing on the Sabbath day, they were always like, hey, dude, we got rules for all this stuff. You're not obeying our rules. And you can see why there was this tension between Jesus and the, and the Pharisees in that day. I wonder if today we ever have churches and Christians that become legalistic. Hmm. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe, maybe a, a legalistic rule would be um, how long a man's hair can be or how short a woman's hair can be. Maybe it has to do whether a man can have facial hair. Or maybe you grew up in a time where you had to wear a tie to church. Why did we have to wear a tie to church? Because well, everyone said you should wear a tie to church. Why did we wear a tie to church? Because we're legalistic. Doesn't say anything about ties in the Bible, but they would take overarching principles and and put that upon people. Some people do that about Bible versions. Hey, the KJV is the only Bible, that's the only one you should read and study from. They got down to dress code in churches. And well-meaning Christians, well-meaning Christians, sometimes can come up with and enforce all kinds of rules and regulations on other Christians and on God's church. And it could be something like we just talked about, like, hey, everyone in church has to dress a certain way. Or... Hey, every service has to end with an invitation hymn at the very end. Or, hey, no books or Christian resources should ever be sold in the building. Or, hey, no instruments or background music of any type should be used in the Sunday morning worship assembly. Or, you can only be baptized on Sunday morning. You can't be baptized on a Sunday night, on a Wednesday night, or any other time. Or, you can only be baptized in this baptistry, the backyard swimming pool at your small group. That doesn't work. You, you see where I'm going here. It's more and more and more. I mean, we just keep putting it on. 
It could be even, you know, the preacher mustn't drive a red sports car. It could destroy his witness and testimony. You know, I mean, all kinds of rules they put out there. But there's also the rules that the church and the Christians sometimes put on not only inside the church when you're here, but some rules for outside of the church. Like you, you can't go to the movies or support anything that Hollywood does. You shouldn't dance. You just shouldn't dance. I know David was hoofing it up before the Lord. It's all over the Old Testament, but you shouldn't dance, okay? <clears throat> Don't listen to certain types of music, especially rap. Don't buy raffle tickets. You can't play card games. Don't eat meat. Don't drive a big SUV. I remember um, in the spirit of this legalism uh, that I was at a church camp one time, and there was a, uh, a dean there. And this dean, uh, dean of the church camp, which means he was kind of like the guy in charge of the whole week, Okay. And so, so you can imagine this. This is junior high week of church camp in Colorado. And, and he was so well-intentioned. We get there the first day, and you always have to go over the camp rules, okay? That's probably the least favorite part of camp is that first meeting on the first day. You get all the kids there. You have dinner. You've got a captive audience because their bellies are full, and you start giving them the camp rules. You know, guys can't go in the girls' dorms, and girls can't go in the guys' dorms, and you can't go out on the trails by yourselves. You can't go swimming in the pool by yourself. That's why it's fenced and locked. You can't do, you know, they just go over the rules for safety, for security, for what God's trying to work and accomplish that week. And I remember this dean gave this rule on the very first day, the very first meeting in front of all the sponsors. He'd already talked to all of the adults about it. He's now talking to the students at camp, junior high week. And he said, and we have a rule this week that there can be no shorts that go six inches above the knee, ladies. So no shorts can go six inches above the knees. He's well-meaning in that. What's he really trying to do? He's trying to get them to be what? Modest, right? Modest. So the guys aren't checking out their legs the whole week. Okay, I, I get it. But he took it to this, okay, it's got to be six inches above the knee, and when you put your hand down to your side, it you know, should, shouldn't be past your, you know, any higher than your fingertips, when, you know, and all this stuff. And so what was the focus of the camp? Starting night one, it was our, her shorts too short. I mean, they had a tape measure. He'd go around with a tape measure to measure, is that six inches? And everyone was focused, and the next day it's like they're sitting down at breakfast, and you know, sometimes you sit down and your shorts might come up a little bit. It's like, oh, her shorts, that's more than six inches. That's got to be eight inches. And you see, it was legalism, right? It was like, hey, it's six inches, that's the rule. No, no, no. The guiding principle from Scripture would be, please be modest. Keep it covered so you don't make a brother stumble. So you don't, you help them not to lust. Help them not to fall into that trap by keeping everything covered. But you see how sometimes well-intentioned Christians, right, well-intentioned, can put rules and regulations on things, and then it spins out of control. And so the first group that they're speaking to in this passage is the legalists, the people who are legalistic. The second group is false teachers, false teachers. Here's the thing I want you to understand about false teachers. False teachers can come from outside of the church, but many times, false teachers actually come from inside of the church. So what is a false teacher? A false teacher is someone who takes the word of God and twists it for a desired outcome. Sometimes that might be something for themselves. Look what it says there in verse 11. It says that they must be silenced, these, these people, because what are they doing? They're disrupting whole households. They're confusing. They're throwing things into upheaval with these Christians by teaching things that they ought not to teach, things that are not the truth of God's word. And it says, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Some of the false teachers would be going around, I'll put it in today's context, going around and saying, hey, you want your prayers to be answered? You know what you need to do? You know what you need? You need a prayer hanky. And I got one for five bucks cut from the linen that wrapped Jesus in the tomb. 
It is holy linen, and this is a prayer hanky, and you need it for five bucks. And so the, those kind of things, and you've heard this before, right? A lot of times you're thinking about televangelists or, you know, those that are marketing the, the gospel and certain artifacts or certain things that you need this to get this end result. And so those false teachers were back here in young Christian churches in the early days on the island, on the island of Crete. And they were trying to lead people astray. And it says here that, 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 that for dishonest gain and for their pure humanistic agendas, they were twisting the truth. And it says what? It says that we're to be on guard against these people. It says that they must be silenced there in verse 11. That somebody has to stand up and do something about that. But I want you to understand this morning. There will always be those people working against God in his church. The second thing this morning. Silence and rebuke those who are leading others astray. That's what we're called to do, silence and rebuke, right there at the beginning of verse 11. They must be silenced. You jump down to verse 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. If you rebuke somebody, it's one thing, right? But what about when it says to rebuke them sharply? It means what? It means don't leave any stone unturned. Now, remember the context of which we're reading this. The last time uh, we were studying the, uh, Titus, we were talking about elders, right? Qualifications and characteristics for elders. And this is right after that. So it's saying, hey, church leaders. Remember what it said about church leaders in verse 9? We must hold firmly. He must, this is talking about the elders. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Why? So that he can encourage others by what? Sound doctrine and do what? And refute those who oppose it. That was the last part of verse 9. Be ready to refute those who oppose it. And then we're reading this section here, right? About legalists and about false teachers. And so it says here that we're actually to take action, church leaders and Christians, to silence and rebuke those, to not sit by passively. Because sometimes in our passivity, we could be allowing sin in the camp. We could be allowing evil to take place. We could be allowing words... And teachings coming out of someone's mouth that actually leads people astray from the truth. So, we must say something when we're tempted to say nothing. That's what God's calling some of us to do. Is to say something when we're tempted to say nothing. And the temptation is what? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. That's none of your business. That's not, they're, not, they're not in your small group. They're not in your Sunday school class. You don't really have a relationship with them. You're not friends with them. I know they're in our church, but don't say anything. That's not in this passage. <laughs> no, it says that we are to be a people of action. And if we see someone out there twisting the truth or making legalistic demands on people, we are to silence those people and to rebuke them sharply so that so that they'll repent, right? They'll repent. Repent means to turn away and go a new direction. They'll repent of their sinfulness. They'll repent of the wrong direction. And they'll turn around and they'll go the right direction. I know it's hard. I know the temptation is to, to say nothing. And to, and to think things in your mind like it's none of my business. But folks, if God puts it before you, sometimes I'm thinking, it's your business. Now, let me be clear. It's especially the elder's business. But it's also our business as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Third thing this morning. Protect the purity of your heart and mind. 
You have to protect the purity of your heart and mind. This was something that I struggled with when I was studying this passage. Let's look at verse 15. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, what does it say? It says both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. To the pure, all things are pure. Why is that? It's because they haven't seen darkness. They haven't given themselves over to darkness. They haven't fallen into those sin patterns. Maybe they haven't even exposed themselves to evil, to negativity, to negative material, to things that just wouldn't build up any part of the body of Christ. And the question I want you to wrestle with this morning is, what do we allow to come into our minds and our hearts? What are you allowing yourself to be exposed to? because we're in this connected world right we're in this connected world the, the, the internet man I can pop onto some bad stuff really really fast there's some things that I might be watching there might be a movie that I watch and I hate it I kind of cringe sometimes when I hear you know people talking about you know man I saw this movie this weekend you know it was to hell with all of you, and it was a great movie. I mean, the topic was a little bit bad. The cussing was horrible. I mean, the effort all throughout it, and this, and the that, and these scenes, and it was all about evil and stuff. But other than that, it's a really good movie. <laughs> it's like, folks, if you have to justify, if you're telling somebody at church, hey, this movie's really, really good, and then you follow it up with, uh, but it was this, 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 and this, and this, but other than that, it was really good, I'm just thinking maybe we shouldn't be watching that. Maybe we shouldn't be shucking out our dollar bills to support that. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and say, don't ever watch a movie that has a cuss word in it. I'm not going to say, don't ever watch me. You know, again, we could become legalistic about it, right? Right? We could become legalistic and now say, now, none of you can watch Hollywood movies. You can only watch, you know, the Guardian Angel channel and, 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 and Hallmark, you know, with their non-agenda movies, okay? And, you know, why is that funny? Something going on at Hallmark? Something going on at Hallmark. It's something going on everywhere, right? It's an agenda. It's the world. It's getting darker, folks. We've got to guard ourselves. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted, that word corrupted is really interesting. It actually also means defiled and polluted. To those that are corrupted, that are also defiled and polluted. And they do not believe. They don't really have, like, a real faith. They, they, they're having this struggle. Nothing is pure to them. They could look at pure things and make them impure in their minds in a quick second. Why? Because of how they've opened themselves to darkness. You see, folks, I think it's true. There's this numbing effect to our minds and to our consciences when we expose ourselves to explicit material, to darkness, or to evil. I just think it sears the conscious. And the, the more that you view that, talk about that, or are part of that, engage in that, the more easy it is for you to do that and to not have that Holy Spirit nudge or that conscious inside your heart saying, hey, don't, don't, yeah, something don't feel right here. But you do that day after day after day, guess what? It numbs you and it's like, oh, that feels fine now. And what do we have to do after that? Go step in, go a little darker. Gotta step in a little further. That's why Satan is a liar. 
He's a deceiver, and he wants to lead you astray. And he wants you to move your line of what you deem as acceptable in your life. He wants to constantly be moving that line. And I think from the beginning of Titus here with the stand on the truth and then the elder qualifications and then we're into this little section, it's saying there's a line. Keep the line where it is and make it God's line based on God's word and God's values. Don't make this acceptable practice that I'll constantly move the line in my life. You know. You know what God's calling you to do. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this. I love this verse. It says, finally... Brothers and sisters. And that word brothers and sisters, Adelphoi, is actually referring to Christian brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Make that what your mind dwells upon. And those are the things you look at and you support and you endear yourself to in life and you expose yourself to in life. Those things, maybe that, just that list there, should be the qualifiers for the next video, movie, TV show, streamed on Netflix. Maybe that should be the qualifier. Is it right? Is it pure? Is it noble? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent and praiseworthy? And maybe if it's not, maybe we shouldn't be a part of it. Protect the purity of your heart and mind. Because to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and defiled, nothing is pure. Last thing this morning. We must strive to never deny Christ by our actions. We must strive to never deny Christ by our actions. We must walk out the faith that we claim to have. Uh, Titus 1.16 I memorized this verse as a child. I, I think it was church camp, Sunday school, something like that. This verse has been a verse that has convicted me through the years. And I'm so glad I memorized it when I did. Now, I memorized it a little different than what it is in the NIV 2011 update and what's on the screen, what's in the app and stuff. The way I memorized it was like this. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They claim to know God. And there's so many times in my life, and, and, and I know there's, there's more to it. They claim to, know God, God, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They're detestable and disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. I memorized it for any good deed. But that convicted me a lot through the years. That I didn't want to be that, I called it a Titus 1.16 Christian. That I didn't want to be that person that claimed to know God but denied him by my actions. That's what it's saying here. It's even really questioning whether they really know God. So they claim to know God. They would say they're a Christian. They would attend church on Sunday morning. They might even be in a, in a growth group. They might even volunteer in a ministry team. And they would say, I claim to know Christ. Did I have this relationship with Jesus but then when you walk beside them and you see how they live their life and they take actions, you look at those, you say, wait a second, those don't line up with Scripture. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. And because of that, it says that they're detestable, they're, they're, they're disobedient, they're unfit for doing anything good. They can't, 
God can't use them. They're, they're not a good kingdom example. They're not a good witness. And as long as they stay in that sinful state and they don't repent of their sins and they don't, they don't confess their sins and turn away from that sinful walk, it says, hey, they're unfit to accomplish anything good for the kingdom of God. We just don't want to be there, do we? 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7 through seven says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's koinonia, by the way. We studied that a couple months ago. We have koinonia with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And the message of the passage today is that we must guard the church, the fellowship, against legalism and false teaching. Because many people have been led astray, folks. I mean, it's the truth. I'd love to say every church that meets this morning all across the fruited plain are all Bible churches and Bible teaching and Bible leading and nothing ever gets twisted. Nothing ever becomes false teaching. Nothing ever becomes legalistic in one of those congregations. But the fact is, is sadly it's not true. But we are called to live out our faith and to live out what we claim to have in Christ Jesus, which is this new life. And we line up our attitude and our actions by it. We actually do something. In James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says this, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. You show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Another translation puts it this way, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. It's a call to live out and to walk out the gospel. So I wanna ask you this morning, what are you doing? What are you doing? A few weeks ago, we asked the question, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you headed? So many people, great question for us to consider as we're coming into this fall season. But here's another one for you. Okay, you consider where are you headed? Where are you going? And then what are you doing about where you are going? Are you doing good? Are you doing what is right? Are you doing the things that God's called you to do? Or are you opening yourself up to darkness and evil? And some of you may be opening yourself up to a legalistic spirit. You don't even realize you're doing it. But when you come in and you put your own preferences and rules and regulations on other people in the body of Christ, that you can't back up that's not clearly stated in the word of God, let's admit it. We all could have a legalistic spirit about something, right? But we can also all repent and pray that God would change that attitude in our life and our heart. 